You're listening to The DAP Project. Rhonda Elizabeth, your co-hostess with the mostest. <laughs> Sometimes we do the mostest, y'all. I'm Aaron Stallworth. The DAP Project is a podcast that explores politics and culture through the Black man's most nuanced and telling gesture, the DAP. Giving DAP is a way to say, I see you. I see you out there doing your thing, representing for the culture, shining. Shining, 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 yeah. Okay, but seriously, Julian Hipkins III is a Morehouse graduate and career educator with a focus on history and global studies. He has served as the curriculum specialist and Mississippi Teacher Fellowship Project Director at the Howard Zinn Project and taught 11th grade at the Capital City Charter School in Washington, D.C. At every school where he teaches, Julian adds to the institution which is why we're talking with him today. Julian is the NAF director at Theodore Roosevelt High School, also in the district. He organized the first Tour de Roosevelt, a community bike ride of the neighborhoods from which Roosevelt students come. Rhonda, you and Blue rode this morning, right? We sure did, and these guys are on fire. They're on fire, but they look good too. Fire, let's get to it. All right, welcome to the DAP Project, Julian. It's been some time since we've connected. Uh, glad you are here with us today. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. It's wonderful to see you. I saw Rhonda earlier, uh, so it's wonderful to see you as well. Yeah, definitely good to see you. So you and a couple of dozen folks went out for a bike ride this morning. We're familiar with Tour de France, but you have Tour de Roosevelt. Yes. Tell us a little yes. bit about it. <laughs> Tour de Roosevelt today was the inaugural uh, Tour de Roosevelt bike ride. It's a community ride, and the ride was around Roosevelt's uh, geographic feeder uh, boundary. So we started at Roosevelt, uh, went down basically across uh, Washington Hospital Center, back behind Catholic, uh, came back across uh, using Kennedy Street to take us into the park. Uh, went through the park and they came out in Mount Pleasant. And Mount Pleasant is a little bit further south than our actual boundary, but we we uh, followed the uh, bike paths as much as possible for safety reasons. Um, but it was a wonderful ride. The weather was outstanding. The energy was was incredible. We had, I think, about nine MPD bike officers with us. Uh, you know, it, it, it was really wonderful. Um, yeah, I, I felt so just relieved, happy, so many emotions uh, at the end that, that we got through it safely and everybody seemed to have a good time. And who all was there? What what uh, population came down and rode with you all? We had a lot of different people in the community. Some people I knew, uh, my good friend, Jason Green, who helped me get in shape for the ride. We were riding every weekend. Uh, Rachel Maisler, who uh, actually mapped out the route and we were riding the first time. So she was incredible. She had some folks from her organization there as well. Uh, our principal came. He actually ran the route, which <laughs> he, he tried to get people to do it. He had one taker in, uh, in Dean Salazar, uh, our head dean. But, uh, yeah, they ran the route and actually finished around the same time. They left about an hour ahead of time. So that was great. Uh, we had a number of our staff members there. Uh, First Sergeant Davis, Chef Wiggins, who's the chef for our Culinary Arts Academy. Miss um, Lattimore, who's our director of strategy logistics. Um, so it was really outstanding. Miss Battle, uh, Mr. Heckle, Miss Fulgen, uh, make sure I don't forget anybody. A lot of uh, folks from the school uh, came out to support as well. So that was that was really great. We had some community members too. Will Perkins from council member Jenny Lewis George's office was there too. Yes, yes, he was there as well. And, and I think I said before, I had a few people there from um, DC Bicycle uh, Advisory Council. That's uh, Rachel Mazo's group. Um, so some people I knew, some people I met for the first time, I had a number of people come up to me, uh, during the ride and after saying that they wanted to do it every week. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm probably going to be doing it, uh, every week, you know, in some way, shape or form. And I was texting with, uh, Sergeant Ibrahim, who was uh, leading the way at the, at the head of the pack. And we were joking and I said, weekly, monthly. And he texted back and said, daily. <laughs> I was like, well, I, I got to yeah, get special permission from my principal uh, for that. But that just shows the the excitement that was connected to the ride. And, and it, it was really a, a wonderful sight. Yeah, 
We were chatting during the ride and you said you picked up bike riding during the pandemic. Wow. Yes. Yes. Well, my daughter, my oldest daughter, uh, she got a bike, I think, at the beginning of this year, maybe like around March or so. So when she got her bike, I was going out with her and I was walking with her. But as the weeks and months went on, that was becoming <laughs> more difficult. She was leaving me. I thought, oh, I got to get a bike so I can ride with her. So I finally went online and I found the bike that I wanted, uh, but it was in Delaware. So I drove up to Delaware to get it. Not too far. I listened to a few, you know, Malcolm Gladwell podcasts on the way. Uh, so it was real quick. Went up, came back and uh, had my bike. And then I started practicing on the, the Tour de Roosevelt route uh, every weekend, really since well, the first, first week of August, maybe. So just doing it every week, get, getting better, you know, in shape especially for some of those hills because I didn't, <laughs> didn't want to walk. That was my goal. And, and you know the hills, you're laughing, you know the hills. Um, yeah. I didn't want to walk the bike up the hill if I could avoid it, you know. So I was like, let me get ready so I can tackle these hills since I'll be probably in the front. Um, and I did it. So it, it worked yeah. out. But but I, I really loved doing it. You know, I went a few times with Jason and Rachel and a couple of times I went by myself. You know, I got up really early. Uh, one morning, I think I got up at like seven and just went out by myself and it was so quiet and so peaceful. And uh, I stopped a couple of times, you know, in Rock Creek just by myself and sat and just looked at the creek. It was, it was really, really wonderful, therapeutic mm-hmm. um, for me, you know, as, as a father of two, um, you know, my family, educator. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of things going on. Pandemic, <laughs> racism, yeah. white supremacy, you know, you look good <laughs> I'll just throw that in there. <laughs> right. In there too, you know. We start with the good things and then we start going out, you know. Um, yeah. All of these things together, you know, it's it was great. It is great to have moments where I can just be by myself, you know, riding my bike in nature, peace and quiet, time to reflect, time to think, or just time not to think about anything. Yeah. And then come back and, and be refreshed and, and be a little lighter. Every time I ride, I, I feel a little lighter, like my spirit. I, like oh i needed that <laughs> and yeah. uh so so it's really great yeah that's that's a beautiful thing a lot of folks found that space for themselves during the pandemic that's one of the good things that came out of it for some people how did you specifically did you do any specific training uh in getting ready no no i just went out that first day and and this that's a good question because really this is how i am i just jump right into things <laughs> there's, there's no gradual I, I think i get that from my dad I, I guess I was like three or four, three, because we were still in New Jersey and him, he took me to the Y to teach me how to swim. He just threw me in the pool. Mm-hmm. That's that old school swimming like, instructor. Hey, yeah. swim. Yeah, yeah. So I did no training. I got my bike. And I think the next day I said, hey, let's go out for the ride or the next week. And uh, mm-hmm. so I did 12 miles. The ride we did today, I did 12 miles. I did that with no training, not having been on a bike in maybe a decade. And uh, I had to walk it up a few hills, uh, but I made it. Um, right. So then every week after that, you know, I got a little bit stronger and, and you know, it was a little bit easier. And uh, yeah, so just doing yeah. it every weekend was great. What sparked this idea to do the Tour de Roosevelt? And I hear you mentioning mentioning boundaring a couple times. So tell us a little bit about the connection between the boundaries, the feeder pattern, and the tour that we took today. Sure. Well, I was thinking about, you know, when I before I got my bike, I was reading a lot about bike infrastructure and, and how that urban planning and what goes into that and, and reading about different places throughout the United States that have done community rides. And then also, since I live in Petworth, um, very close to the Roosevelt, like 10 minutes on foot. Um, I was, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to, for the community to learn about Roosevelt and, and what exactly is our feeder pattern or our, our geographic boundary, uh, the students that automatically can come to Roosevelt. And also I thought, just thinking about bikes, everybody rides bikes, all different races, ages, socioeconomics that, you know, it's the, it's the bike. So I thought, a community bike ride will be a good opportunity for people to meet each other who perhaps don't usually interact. And I felt that today, a lot of people talking that 
complete strangers. But during the ride, you heard laughing with people who just met. Um, I was talking to people I had never met before and perhaps may have never met if it wasn't for the ride today. Um, so that was really one of my goals uh, as well, just to really uh, provide an opportunity for people to come together who might not do so otherwise. And then also learn about Roosevelt uh, in the process and learn about our boundary. And actually, Principal Ralston at the end, he said, you know, I really appreciated it because he ran through parts of the city they had never been in before. And, you know, he said, I didn't realize this was over here. <laughs> I hadn't been through this part of DC before. So he really enjoyed that. And also seeing where some of our students live. Um, so he said that was very helpful. So, so that was great to hear. We're coming out of a pandemic when we have been home quarantined um, 18 months isolated from each other. So I feel like that gave today's ride extra importance. Mm. Do you think, did you think so? Or did you feel that? I, you know, now that you're saying that, I, I think yes, because that probably added to that feeling. Cause I, I mean, I'm biased, I was organizing, but it really felt like a really happy event from beginning to end that the people, the energy was, was outstanding. Even when people were tired, it was just like, we're all together doing this event, you know, going up these hills together, experiencing this beautiful scenery together. Um, so it, yeah, I didn't think about it before, but now that you mentioned it, yes, I, I think that had a lot to do with it, um, the, the entire ride. I think another part that was um, evident was that it felt really supportive of Roosevelt itself. Mm. So I have to admit two things. One, I went to Banneker, so I always have to put that plug out there. <laughs> so I support DCPS, but my aunt is a graduate of Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, so wow. she's a, yeah, she's a rough rider. Yes, yes. And so, and I've seen that you and Ralston and other staff members have been so um, enthusiastic, committed, loyal, just diehard Roosevelt fans. So as we're uh, riding around and seeing these different boundaries in different neighborhoods, it felt like that we're cheering on Roosevelt. Um, every school wants their enrollment to increase and to see all of their students come back. So do you think that this ride would also encourage students who may have not returned or may still be in the transition of getting back to school after the pandemic? Do you think this event would encourage them to come back with more motivation and more energy? I think so. And that was one of my goals as well. And, I, and one of the ways I think that will happen is definitely through social media seeing so many adults, seeing, seeing MPD, you know, seeing all these people, the principal, you know, all these folks riding really to your point in support of Roosevelt, um, I think would show students that they have a lot of people behind them rooting for them. And when they come through those doors, they're gonna have a lot of people supporting them. Um, so I, I definitely think that'll help um, get some students who perhaps might not think about Roosevelt to see this on Instagram or Twitter or wherever that you know th this is a big deal and it was supported by a lot of people who are going to support them uh, when they come to Roosevelt so definitely and there was uh our youngest writer uh he called himself one gear one gear <laughs> this, this young did the whole ride <laughs> one gear hills and all hills and all <laughs> and was fine not not winded oh no Oh no, he was not winded at all. In yeah, fact, he took I, I pride. Didn't even in, say youngest. <laughs> yeah, he was maybe what nine or so, nine or something ten, like something like that. And and oftentimes in the front. Yes, yes, he was in the front, leading the pack with his, you know, his it's probably his first bike, maybe it's his second bike ever in life. But by the end of the ride. He was strutting around saying, you guys can just call me one gear because I did it on one gear. That's and right. Rachel, during the ride, would yell out low gear when we're going up right. the hills or other gear related calls. Right. And this little friend is just like, y'all can call me one gear. <laughs> yes. yes, one gear. So you're a master at crafting lessons. Were there any other things that you wanted us to learn as we rode through the neighborhoods? Maybe you wanted us to have the same experience that Ralston had of seeing different neighborhoods. It was seeing different neighborhoods. And one of the things that I wanted people to think about, and of course, 
thinking about maybe the next Friday having like a debrief session because you know the, the learning really happens in debrief. But one of the things I wanted people to think about, and this really helped me, especially in the first few weeks of school, is that the ride really is like life in a lot of ways. You know, there were some hard hills, you know, there were downhills, there were beautiful parts, shady parts, there were really sunny parts. <laughs> there were parts where you feel like I'm not going to make it. Um, but there were people alongside us at all times, you know, doing the same thing, working towards the same goal. So it really made me think about a school and working together as a team and saying, you know, we have this, this, uh, this route ahead of us that we must complete. Uh, how we do that, how we approach it is really up to us because the route's not going anywhere. The route's sitting there. So it's all about how you approach it. Are you going to go really fast and get tired? Or are you going to take your time? Are you going to stop? Are you going to slow down sometimes and really take in things? Are you going to go too fast and miss some things? So it, as I was practicing, it made me think about life. It made me think about uh, being an educator. It made me think about the school year and uh, really gaining some lessons about how I would approach uh, the school year, how, how moving forward, thinking about life, being a father, a husband, you know, just really taking time sometimes to slow down. And I, I think about slowing down because one day I was riding by myself and I was going at a really good pace. And uh, for some reason, I just stopped. I stopped, put my bike down and I, I took my helmet off and I just sat there. I don't know how long I sat there for. And I was just looking at Rock Creek. And as I was sitting there, my mind was just clear and it was a really beautiful moment. And I thought, man, if I had just kept going, just caught up in, in speed and, and finishing, I would have missed this moment. Uh, which I think oftentimes, I, I could definitely say as an educator, sometimes you're just so focused on getting through the day, getting these things done, instead of just slowing down, taking time to talk to somebody, taking time to just look at something. Um, so it has really helped me in that sense. And, and one of my hopes was that people would get that from the ride today, thinking about at, at times how difficult it was. I really loved the end. We were coming up 13th Street. You heard people cheering. Or, and, and, and the building, I felt, you know, was like, smiling at us you know <laughs> you know roosevelt's dudes so you know come over the hill and the building's just standing there like yeah come on home <laughs> come on up here you know so that was really nice and and, and to feel that sense of accomplishment that you uh, mentioned earlier to, to start the week off that way it's really a great thing so that, that's what i gained from that's what i hope people would gain from it as well in addition to making friends uh, with people that they don't usually see Well, I want to congratulate you uh, for kicking off the school year in such a big way, especially during such a challenging year. As you know, my daughter had a soccer game today, so that's the only reason I wasn't there. But I can feel the energy from you and Rhonda of how great of an event and, and how beautiful the energy was around the event. But what kept you motivated uh, thinking back over these past 18 months during remote learning Ooh. and what motivated you to return to school with so much good energy with an event like this? Ooh, that is a wonderful question. Um, it's the students, the students. You know, I, I love Roosevelt. Uh, I love our students. They're amazing. And I realized that early on in the pandemic that it was really important for educators as, as, as much as we're going through to be a source of stability for our students to be a source of strength and know that we were gonna be there every day virtually um, you know, uh, teachers are going to have their lesson plans ready. Um, myself as an NAF Academy director, I was constantly looking for guest speakers and experiences virtually, um, you know, virtual tours, whatever, to help uh, Ms. Beer, who's our amazing global service and diplomacy uh, teacher, and Chef Wiggins, who, as I mentioned earlier, came out today, our culinary arts teacher, to really support them so they could provide as many different opportunities to our students as possible. So that, that really motivated me, especially because last year was our first year of our NAF academies. So as the NAF Academy director, I'm like, okay, I took it as a challenge kind of, you know, like motivation. It's like, okay, it's a virtual, mm -hmm. but we're still gonna knock it out the park, even though it's virtual, uh, we're still gonna do a great job. So that really, you know, initially I thought, oh my God, how are we gonna pull this off to launch <laughs> two new yeah. academies virtually? But it worked out and, and it's amazing when we came back, I would go into classrooms, you know, of our NAF Academy students 
and they would say, Mr. Hipkins, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, who's that? It's me. And they would say their name. And then I was like, oh, my God. Because, you know, you would see each other online or sometimes they would have their screen off or, you know. But but the mask was the really reason why they were saying, it's me. It's me. So um, that was really great to get that feeling to see them in person when you come back in the building and the energy and the love that they showed you. Um, that, that's coming back from the love we, we showed them. So just wanted to make sure that, that the students um, knew we were there for them. And then also for me, my, my own personal pride as an educator, you know, I, 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 I love what I do. Um, I wanna be the best that I can be at all times. And I take it very seriously. So I always wanna be prepared. I wanna bring uh, my 100% uh, every day. Of course that 100% changes from day to day. <laughs> <laughs> we understand. One hundred percent on Monday might not be one hundred percent on Thursday. But <laughs> if I give one hundred percent, I can end the day and know that I, I gave everything I had that day, and and uh, I, I can live with that. Um, so just making sure that the students um, know that, and also, you know, I live in in the neighborhood. So Roosevelt's my my neighborhood, DCPS High School. <clears throat> so I wanted to be the best it can be. Um, because it's a representation of, of the neighborhood that I live in. And I feel like any great neighborhood has a great neighborhood high school for its students. Um, so that's what we're constantly working towards at, at Roosevelt uh, to make it a, a, an amazing high school. You know, it, it, it is a wonderful place now, but we're always trying to make it better because um, every, every school, every institution, every, every organization can always improve. And that's what we're constantly uh, working toward at, at Roosevelt. Our next question about your experience at Morehouse, where I am very curious, what impact did Black professors have on you as oh, wow. a student? Ooh. We only have half an hour left. Yeah, I want to put that out there now. <laughs> you know, we can go. So, you know, like, I know. Well, in 1994. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, so many outstanding professors at Morehouse. Um, if I had to think of one thing to sum up, and I've thought of this a lot of times as an educator, as a human being, as a man, is that it's very important to do what you think is right, regardless of who's around. So, there might be people around that say, oh, that's not a good idea. That's not, I don't agree with that, or you shouldn't do that. But if you and your heart feel that it's the right thing to do, professionally, personally, if you really believe in your core, your morals, that it's the right thing to do, you should see that through, regardless of the consequences. And that is what a man does. You see things through even though everyone around you might be like, that's crazy. And, and that's something I really got from my professors on a number of different occasions, um, whether we had guest speakers or in class, a lecture, uh, something they did that I really uh, valued and appreciated. Um, yeah, I can think of many <laughs> stories uh, where I saw that and, and was really um, amazed by their courage in, in the face of something that I thought, wow, that, that took a lot of courage to do. and and. You know, my time at Morehouse was wonderful. Uh, uh, Jason Green, who I mentioned earlier, I met him my first day at Morehouse. We stayed in the same dorm. So I've known him now 25 plus years, uh, an amazing friend. And I went to Morehouse and I left with with dozens of brothers, lifelong friends. Um, friends, I've, we've been to weddings together, funerals together, you know, the highs and lows, we've, we've been through it all. And that brotherhood has really helped strengthen me in many ways, probably in ways I don't even realize. Um, so. Can we go back to courage? It seems like there's a story there that might be really, um, really lovely to hear. I have two. <laughs> we can hear both of them. Okay. Yeah, we can hear both well, of them. First, uh, with Dr. Kone, who was really the reason why I changed my major to history. I had him freshman year, an outstanding master educator, um, outstanding uh, educator. We were going to a 
history conference at Duke University, I believe, where we met John Hope Franklin, which is one of my heroes. Wow. When I shook wow. his hand, I, you know, people say they meet athletes, they didn't wash it. I didn't wash my hand for the rest of the day. After I shook his hand, I was just like, and he yeah. was kind of like, okay, like, you know, because I was holding <laughs> on to his hand. He wanted to let that sink in. Like, yeah. can I please be as brilliant as oh him? Oh my gosh. He was so kind. You know, he's this giant, but we were just talking and I was like, you're, I'm talking to John Hope Franklin. You, know, <laughs> you like pull it together. I could yeah, get it together, man. So we were going to this history conference and um, I think we were two cars. So Dr. Kone was with some students, another car. I was another car. We, we got pulled over for speeding. I can't remember if we were actually speeding or not. Oh, I, now I remember we weren't speeding because uh, we didn't want to drive too fast because Dr. Kone was another car. So the state trooper pulled us over and... Um, you know, was was talking to us, asking us questions, and he asked us to get out the car. And I was like, oh man. And this was like 95, 96, six, something like that. So when Dr. Kone got out, and I remember I was in the other car, so I was outside, but I could see him. And he went in on the officer politely, not yelling, mm. but he said, I can't believe you're pulling us over. This is ridiculous. Uh, I need your name. I need your badge number. These are students. We're going to a conference. And he, he went on and on and on. The officer just stood there. And I just felt like the officer was shrinking <laughs> as Dr. Yeah. Kone was, was talking to him so eloquently, calmly. Um, and then when we got back to school, eventually, uh, he wrote a letter to the police department. And in it, he explained everything that happened and just outline everything and send it to them. And I don't know what came from that, but it, it really showed me a, a very, it was a great example of courage because who knows what could have happened in these times, you know, the right. cop might've said, oh, he rushed me or something. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a lesson for us that as human beings, uh, you don't deserve to be treated a certain way. And if somebody does treat you that way, you have the right as a human being to speak up about it and to make sure that person knows that they were wrong. Can you stop them from doing it? Other people, who knows? But it's your responsibility to let them know that that was wrong. I realize it was wrong and I'm gonna take action to let others know that that was wrong. So, so that was really a great moment. Cause I, I remember when he got out of the car, I was like, oh, Dr. Coney, don't get out the car. <laughs> <laughs> he got a little close to the office. Oh, oh, like, oh yeah. no. But it, it was really, really amazing. And another uh, story, this is Dr. Barksdale, another history professor. I remember we were at um, King's Chapel and it was some type of speaker series. And I can't remember the exact topic, but there was a, um, there was a rabbi, um, someone from the Nation of Islam, and I think someone from a Baptist church. And it was some type of panel. And as you can imagine, some of those conversations, things got a little bit heated. And Dr. Barksdale was there and you know, people actually stood up at one point and were exchanging words back and forth. And Dr. Kone calmly, I mean, sorry, Dr. Barksdale calmly stood there and he calmed people down. He explained what was going on. And he was like, you know, we're not going to do this here. We're not going to do this here. And he was by himself. There was no security or anything. And he said, okay, I need you to sit down. I need you to sit down. And someone said to him, you know, who do you think you are? And he said, I'm Dr. Barksdale. I'm whatever years old. And I'm a professor here at Morehouse College, so this is what's going to happen. And very slowly, everything calmed down, and we continued with the panel. But it, it was a, a master class in watching one individual control the entire room with, a, with very sensitive topics being said and, a, and, and people's emotions getting you know, stronger and stronger, people standing up, people shouting at each other. He squashed all that, calmed it down, and we continued forward. So that was something great. For me to, and some people left because they thought it was going to get uh, <laughs> a little too hot. A little too yeah. hot. And the next day in class, he said, "Yeah, you know, what happened yesterday was unfortunate, but we worked it out." And I saw some of y'all up, and he's like, "Hipkins, I saw you stayed. I, I appreciate that, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you had my back." I said, "Yeah, Dr. Cody, I wasn't going to leave you. I wasn't going to leave you." Yeah. Um, so those are just two of. I have many, many others um, where I saw professors and also some of my friends. Um, really have courage and stand up for what they thought was right, even though they didn't know what was going to happen. You know, Dr. Kone, he didn't know what was going to happen with that yeah. police officer. It, it could have ended very badly. Uh, Dr. Barksdale, he didn't know what was going to happen. He was up there by himself being a moderator with the, these folks getting really angry. 
but they both did what they thought was right. And um, and that's one of the, the biggest things that I gained uh, by being uh, at Morehouse College. Social justice has been a demonstrated commitment throughout your career as an educator from teaching history. And I saw that you were a director of a fellowship in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. So what are you thinking about this particular moment from 2020 on, from up to 2020 and moving forward? You said it was something that you gave a lot of thought to on your bike rides. Oh my goodness. That's a wonderful question. I would say really making sure that emotionally and spiritually, I'll say, speaking from the eye, I'm in the right place as a, as a father, uh, as a husband, as an educator, because if I'm letting the, the things in this world, which you mentioned earlier, you know, <laughs> the, the mm-hmm. list is very long, get me down, um, I can't really be the best that I can be. And if I'm focusing on others, because as an educator, that's what we do, right? We focus on mm-hmm. others. If I'm focusing on others more than myself, then I can't do what I need to do. So it, the bike riding has really helped me with that to really focus, give me some time to really focus on my own spiritual and mental health um, in order to be the best that I can be, whether it be at home or, or at school. Because we, there are a lot of things still on the horizon um, that our country, that our planet is, is facing. Uh, climate change is one of the things that's been on my mind a lot lately with these storms, with the rain. Um, I grew up in this area. I, I can't imagine that. I can't remember a time when it wouldn't rain like this yeah. uh, over a very short period of time. I mean, every rain now is a flood warning. That That's just unheard of in, in this part of the country uh, this frequently. So it, it's... The, the planet is ringing the alarm for us, whether we'll answer or not, I don't know, but it's quite clear that, that we have a very serious problem. So climate change, of course, uh, helping our students to understand um, what's at hand in terms of our planet. Of course, we, we talked a little bit before about uh, white supremacy. That is a very serious issue. It's not going anywhere anytime mm-hmm. soon. So uh, what tools can we give our students to be able to thrive in, in this country um, with this system, with this caste system that's still in place um, is very important as well. So there, there are a lot of things on the horizon, but I, um, to your question, these past few weeks and months have really showed me that I need to make sure that I'm as clear and light, as I said earlier, uh, as I can be uh, to be as, as successful as I can be. Because there were times during the pandemic, you know, I, I wasn't thinking about myself at all. I was just uh, my, my girl's got to be okay. You know, my wife, my mom was living with us. Um, my mom was the MVP because she looked after our youngest daughter every day from basically the whole school year. Make sure she's okay. Make sure my students okay. Chef Wiggins was spirit, you know, so I was really doing that. But at times really neglecting my own uh, mental, spiritual health. Um, and over the past few months, I've gotten back on track with that and really making sure that I'm in a good place so I can, so I can help other people. Uh, and and also help myself at the same time. To close out our conversation about Black educators and Black male educators, the Center for Black Educator Development had a social campaign earlier in September, hashtag we need black teachers. So my question for you as someone who is currently every day in the school building, what's required to retain black teachers, not just develop, not just recruit, but to really keep them in the classroom or in the school building and set them up to thrive? Two things that come to mind. Um, at times when I was teaching every day in the classroom, it. it from, from sometimes staff members, sometimes some things I put on myself, it was like I was responsible for all the black males in the school. And that was a very heavy weight. So I, I would never call it a burden because I, I took pride in making sure, you know, the, the, the guys had what they needed. But for one person or, or two or three, you have many black males you have in school to do that. That'll burn you out quickly. Yeah. 
that'll burn you out quickly. If everyone's like, oh, just send them to Mr. Hipkins or just send them to Mr. You know, that's one of his guys or that's one of, you know, it's mm-hmm. like they're, they're all of our students. So why are you telling me to talk to all, all of the black yeah. male students? So I think that's something that really needs to be a, addressed and, and for hopefully a principal or anyone in leadership, assistant principal, what have you, to say, okay, what's going on here? Is that happening? And if so, why is that happening? Because they're all of our students. So that, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Another thing, I think it's, it's really helpful at a school to have some type of race and equity committee, whatever it's called, because it provides an outlet for uh, black male teachers, teachers of color as a whole, I would say, to perhaps have you know, affinity groups or, or have a space to vent. You know, it's like almost like a barbershop, you know, it's like, yeah. what's going on here? You know, if something you don't like at the school that you feel might be racist, you could talk about it in that group and then get your game plan together to approach admin and say, look, we noticed that you keep hiring uh, teachers that aren't teachers of color. Why is that? We don't have, you know, we only have one or two black male teachers in the building. Why is that? So those types of groups, um, I think are extremely important inside of a school building. You know, if teachers are feeling like, you know, they're being alienated, then that can burn you out as well. And then people might say, well, I'm just going to go work at another school. I'm going to try to find another profession. But uh, I've been very fortunate to work with some amazing schools um, who provided those opportunities that I mentioned, race and equity uh, committees. Um, you know, if I felt like something was being pushed on me, I could speak up on it and, and things would change a bit. Um, so, so I've been very fortunate, but I've also met many educators uh, during my time, uh, you know, working at Teacher for Change, traveling Mississippi, going to Boston, you know, visiting different buildings where that sometimes was not the case. And, and the teacher was saying, you know, they, they want me to change everything. They, they tried to Obama me, you know, <laughs> yeah. Obama, the in, in free fall, fix it. Like, oh, thanks. You know? Yeah. You're a Morehouse man, but you're also a man. <laughs> <laughs> Let's fix it all up, you know? So I, I would say those two things come to mind because uh, going back to humanity part, we're, we're human beings. You know, we feel yeah. we, get, we get burned out as black men, as black people. So, you know, Absolutely. you're, you're going to ask us to, to, to fix the entire school or to fix all the black males in the school as one or two black male educators. You know, yeah. that, that's a lot as opposed to let's work together or, you know, Julian, Eric, can you explain to us what do you think we should do or, or people will approach you and say, um, this is what we would like to do. What do you think as a thought partner, as opposed to you being the one doing it? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely understand that hill that gets has to be climbed by black men in the school school buildings. Uh, the Dow Project uh, has a book club of sorts or has a book club not a of sports. sorts <laughs> we have a book club it's uh, legit bro it, it, it is absolutely legit we I just mean, read 470 pages <laughs> and then we just read 300 pages <laughs> i'm a reader yeah. i take pride in my pages we have an amazing book club uh there you go we recently read uh and i would not be surprised if you have read this book uh, chocolate city by g Derek musgrove and christopher hayes uh, and currently we're reading um uh, the state must provide by Adam Harris. Well, how do I get uh, into this book club? You oh, just you read. Can. Yeah, you just That's read. It. You just <laughs> see what we're reading, we're and then you to... just read it along with us. <laughs> and you, you know, hit us up on IG and let us know that you're reading. Yes. If you want, listen, just for you, we will send you a copy of the book that we're reading. Just hit us up with your yes. address. I'll send you a copy me. of the book. But I start off the year with this reading goal, and I kind of tapered off because I was, you know, just reading by myself. But if I'm reading with a group, yeah, great motivation. That's funny because that's exactly how this started. Aaron, tell him the story. Right. I am, what, five years ago, four years ago, I read. <laughs> I had a goal of reading 12 books. I ended up reading 10. And then I went five years and I read, I barely read uh, text messages. And <laughs> I think there's a child in there somewhere. <laughs> and Rhonda, there, is there a child somewhere in there? Oh, yeah, there's a child in there somewhere, yeah. too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's why that's a, that's an excuse yes but Rhonda uh, was the catalyst for me reading those 10 books five years ago uh and as she recommended Trevor, Trevor Noah's Noah's. book uh, yeah Trevor Noah's um uh, born a crime born a crime thank you Rhonda uh, so I wanted to get reinvigorated into reading books and as we continue to have these great conversations on the debt project we said well why don't we a- introduce a book club and 
since then we have read, I think we're up to eight books now or nine or nine. We started book. reading in February. So yeah. from two to month two to month nine. And two wow. book, two James Baldwin books. And one of oh, yeah, books. that's right. We did a two for a one month, too. That yeah, was we good. Did a two for, oh, yeah, I got to this book club. But I bring up Chocolate City and The State Must Provide because as a, a um, HBCU grad and a Washingtonian, um, you know, the Chocolate City really kind of talked about a displacement of Black folks mm-hmm. in this city since Native Americans called it home up to today. Yes, currently being displaced in one way or another, calling it gentrification as of late, or not as of late, over, over the past several decades, but we've been displaced for centuries in this city. Uh, and and uh, the state must provide talks about resources, misallocation of resources to HBCUs. Um, but how do you see, you know, as an educator, uh, for the time that you have been in, in, the, in school buildings and classrooms, and specifically in DC, the, a change in the demographic or in, in of your classroom uh, at a Roosevelt or at, at one any 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 one particular school. Sure, sure. Well, I, first, I, I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland. Okay. So I, the the DMV area, but I would never say DC because you know. Rhonda appreciates that. <laughs> DC, you know, people try to do that, but no, I, I grew up in Silver yeah. Spring. I'm very proud of my Maryland, you know, heritage. All right. All um, right. DC, I, I often came into DC, go to clubs with my friends you know, right. when I was older, teenage years, and of course, museums and other cultural events when I was uh, younger. But yeah. um, so the demographic shift has happened a lot at Roosevelt um, since I've been there, because I started in 2016. And at that time, I don't know the exact percentages, but, but African-Americans were the, the majority group at the school. It might've been like 60, 40 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And now uh, Hispanics are, the majority group at Roosevelt and just in a five, five years. And one of the reasons we have an amazing uh, international academy at Roosevelt, which is for newcomers. So, you know, you'll be in the hallway and there'll be a student coming in and they just got to the United States like that day or, or probably not that day, but the day before. Um, and, and the international academy is wonderful. And that's one of the reasons why we have uh, so many students coming there from mostly from Central and South America, because the program is, is so wonderful. Our teachers, the program, it, it's incredible. So that has been, you know, I, I've seen that just in five years at Roosevelt yeah. uh, alone. And then in the neighborhood, <clears throat> even we moved here in 2012, we've seen over uh, almost 10 years now, a lot of uh, demographic shifts in the neighborhood, uh, things being paved, <laughs> you know, side culture, like, whoa. And, it, and it's, it's hard because you're happy because you're a homeowner. But also knowing the history of this country, you know, when something is paved, like a street, for example, and you know people in the neighborhood have been asking for that street to be paved, perhaps for decades, and then suddenly uh, people show up and it gets paved. So if you live there and you've seen this, your grandparents asked for it to be paved, your parents, you have, and suddenly it gets paved, it makes you question, well, is my life as valuable, as important? as the people who are moving in. And that's a very serious question that I think people don't really like to discuss. And, and that's something that we can see in Petworth. We can see it in, oh my gosh, over at um, New York Avenue. Yeah. Uh, I went over to the REI store the other day and I was shocked, just just the, the number of buildings. Yeah, I, I used to hang out in those areas and right. just right. the scales, like Death Stars just being built, these huge buildings. So. I think the fact that, that you went to an REI store on New York Avenue, like that alone mm-hmm. is a statement. Yeah, that right. Uline Arena, it was it was just deserted for, yeah. for for most of my life growing up. I used to ride past it like Ooh, on the metro, like what is that? You know? Yeah, yeah. right. To see it now in its current state state is is unbelievable. So I think that you know the demographic shifts are, are real. Um, I would hope you know, some of these discussions I had more at schools or in communities about what's going on, because, you know, people are going to move in, of course, but it's really important, I think, for uh, long-term residents in, in those areas to continue to feel respected and not be disrespected by people moving into the neighborhood and, and then people acting like there wasn't any, uh, you know, advocacy going on before they arrived, which sometimes on social media, some of the comments people make, it's like, I'm here now, so I'm asking for this. <laughs> like no one else has been asking for it the whole time. We're going to close out. Um, we ask every guest about the songs that give them life. 
So we're going to ask you the same thing. Um, but speaking to the tour de Roosevelt, what songs do you ride to? Or do you ride to any music? I don't ride to any music yet. Uh, I think I'm going to start moving to that because uh, Miss Lattimore today, she had on some Beyonce. And at one point, it was really helping me. <laughs> <laughs> it's really pumping those legs, right? <laughs> she had it on. I was like, oh, that's <laughs> Oh, it was right. She had it on before we got to the midway point, Rhonda. Ah, uh, yeah. Started, we were on Kennedy Street. And I was like, I feel a little, you know. Mm-hmm. Said, What's up with that Beyonce? And she mm-hmm. said, what? She turned back on. She's like, sure. She turned it on. I was like, oh. <laughs> Got your life back. Because right. <laughs> Kennedy Street, that hill was trying to snatch Correct. your life. Correct. <laughs> it was a creeper. You know, this is a hill right here. So mm-hmm. I had to choose a song right now that I that I have heavy rotation that, that I play in the car sometimes. <clears throat> Always fight the power. Mm-hmm. Always there fight the power on heavy rotation. Yeah. Really, everything from Fear of a Black Planet. Actually, the whole <laughs> just welcome to the Terror Dome, get it 911, just everything. But, yeah. but fight the power. Ooh, so timeless. Yeah. Yeah. And and just listen to that and the lyrics and 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 the, the passion behind it, the, the fighting spirit. You know, I need that right now. I would say we all do, but but that gets me through the day, especially in the morning when I listen to that. It's funny, I usually listen to Welcome to the Terror Dome. Every morning, I want to say my last two years of high school. So it's, it's kind of coming full circle right. now that I'm I'm listening to PE again, uh, yeah. just to get me going. So I, I would say Fight the Power, Public Enemy would be the one right now. I remember that tape in my brother's 1984 Buick Riviera oh, in yes. 1992. Uh, yes. <laughs> so yes, I, I love. Anyway, everybody has to love that. And, and you know, that, and you that, know, that that the tape gets a lot of run when it starts getting faded. Yeah. <laughs> knows what the tape is but you know because it has certain marks on it yeah you know, that's fear of a black planet like how do you know that i know that it's fear of a black man y'all yeah. some old heads hey come on let it be <laughs> <laughs> any, any particular music that gets played during lesson planning Ooh, i would say uh brazilian uh music jorge aragio uh, I listen to him often. Um, Bob Marley, heavy Bob Marley, uh, Dennis Brown. I would say those those All three. Right. I had the opportunity to go to Brazil um, twice, actually. But the first time uh, I was in Rio, and that's when I was really listening to his music. My, my cousin actually asked me to pick up one of his CDs because um, you couldn't really download things. This is like 2004. You know, it was mm-hmm. kind of hard to get it. So he had to buy me the CD. And since then, I, I really love his music and um, enjoy his his voice, and, and that really keeps me, you know, calm and helps me to focus. And of course, Bob Marley is, is Bob Marley, yeah. so Dennis Brown is Dennis Brown. So. Well, it was a delight to talk with you. Thank you so much for organizing the ride. I had a blast. Looking forward to it next year. And the Feel the Burn Breakfast Burritos. Oh, that came up at the park. Yeah. Bernie Sanders came to Roosevelt in August, and he had a a fruit burrito in our culinary arts department. And and he really crushed it. We have video. He he didn't eat it just to be polite. He he, (laughs) (laughs) he crushed that thing. <laughs> yes. he, he really enjoyed it. So we call it the Bernie burrito. Yeah. And I mentioned Chef Wigner was on the ride, and someone said, Well, how come we're not eating food? And I said, Oh, the Bernie burrito. So next year, Bernie burritos. Nice. At Kansas yep. and Ingraham Kansas during the break. Because yep. we were feeling the, the burn. burn. <laughs> All right there. No yeah. problem. No well, problem. we have one last question that sure. Aaron wants to ask because we want to continue supporting your work. Yeah, is there, is there a way for the TDP audience, the TDP family to uh, support or follow the work that you are doing? Well, I tweet a lot. So I'm, I'm on Twitter and it's uh, just Julian Hipkins. Uh, that's that's my Twitter handle, uh, J-U-L-I-A-N-H-I-P-K-I-N-S. Very, very simple. Nobody else had it. I was very fortunate my dad wasn't on Twitter. Yeah, because you're the third. So <laughs> the third. it could have been, you know, somebody it's before it. you. Yep. Yeah. So um that's there. Also, uh, Roosevelt's website, you can go there. But I would say Twitter, I, I, I include Roosevelt's hashtag or handle in, in most of my tweets. So you can really see what I'm doing day in and day out there. Um, I visit the uh, culinary arts classes often, global service and diplomacy classes often, our JROTC 
uh, First Sergeant Davis, she was there today. And oh, also nice. um, Ms. Ponder, who's a teacher of our amazing Build Entrepreneurship Program. So I, I really help with those four programs, you know, anything at Roosevelt, but we're all on the same floor. So I'm, I'm really going around and making sure our, our amazing teachers have what they need to, to teach our outstanding scholars, our, our future, future Nobel laureates. That's right, Pulitzer Prize winners. Pulitzer Prize winners. And... Every, our future everythings, because yeah. in the halls every day when I look at them, I say, this, they're the future. Your future uh, Susan Rice, your future right. diplomats, the that's whole right. thing. That's right, that's right. Well, we hope you have a wonderful day at school tomorrow and get a lot of rest tonight Absolutely. after this really successful event. Thanks for coming on and talking with us. Thank you. It's, pleasure, been man. you know, it's been a true gift and, and this is a really outstanding way to start the week. So I, I thank you for the, the opportunity. Absolutely. Take right. care. Likewise. Take care. Peace. Take care. Peace. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Dot Project. And thank you to Julian Hipkins for joining us just hours after the tour to Roosevelt to chat with us about the event. I felt kind of like Jamil Hill. Jamil Hill is the bomb. Check her on Unbothered on Spotify and continue to check us at the.dap.project on Instagram and listen, like, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and also on Spotify. Take care, folks. Peace.